from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hello and welcome to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton Bailey, co-founder of World of Wonder, here with James St. James and... For those stop, of you- stop the press. Stop the press, everybody. I cannot believe it. Just say it. Just say it. The return of Tom Campbell. I'm going to go way more often. I'm going to go way more often. You guys miss me. I can tell you me. You like me. You really like me. Well, I, I, I told him when I first saw him, I said, I'm a little nervous around you. I feel shy. Like, I, I, it's like meeting a whole new person. <laughs> James was like, Every week, he got more and more disgruntled and was like, Tom's not coming back. I know Tom's not returning. And just like less and less inclined to play. I was like, <laughs> well, I was convinced. I was convinced that they had actually murdered you and buried you in the alleyway. And um, Blake said that there was fr- like fresh cement out there. And I thought he's gone. He's, we're oh never God. going to see him again. I was who's the, the Scientologist wife that's missing? I was like her. <laughs> the yes. <laughs> well, you were gone, but now you are returned and looking very well, I may say. Thank you. So happy to be home and to be with you guys on the wow. And we're going to have you for at least two months. Forever. I'm always here. I was okay. just in a situation where I was far away and jet lag and time lapse, and but I'm here and so happy to be back. Well, Tom, I know you don't really know what we do on this show, but I should tell you, we count down every week the top 10 things that made us go, wow. Wow. So, yeah, so take it away. Lead us. I just want to jump in at number 10. Number 10. With a new music report. Now, when you think of new music, cutting edge, things just being released, just being dropped. Punk think- rock for the kids. Lil Nas X, Billie Eilish, you know, Ava Max, but no. I want to talk about three artists who are may not be in, in their teens, but are dropping amazing music. The first is, have you guys heard any of Leslie Jordan's gospel album, Company's Coming? I have. And I, I've only listened to the Dolly Parton one. And then the one um, that he did with um, that cute little gay um, country boy. Um, DJ Osborne. DJ Osborne, yes. I, I, and I've, both of them were just shocking and fabulous and wonderful. Go. Now, you know, Leslie Jordan is an actor, a comedic actor, does, you know, like one man shows and things, has an Emmy for his time of Will and Grace. And during, obviously, pandemic, he started doing those little those little diaries and fell in love with everyone. During the pandemic, he also uh, sat down and did himself a gospel album. And you think, well, it's going to be a joke. It's going to be Weird Al or it's going to be funny. It is sweet and sentimental. It's, I heard an NPR story. He, you know, took, they said, you know, how much, because he grew up uh, Southern Baptist. You know, he also said, people said, when did you come out? And he goes, I came out of my mother guy, you know. So it's like, and yet he said, it's hard to love a place where you're not loved back. And yet these, so he made a gospel album of all, now he's sort of at a place where it's like, you know, people do the best they can. Everyone's trying. So he's able to sort of reclaim the gospel songs he sang in church as a child. But he did them with Dolly Parton. Chris Stapleton, Tammy Tucker, Brandy Carlisle, Eddie Vedder. So crazy. So crazy. And through it all, his voice, you you think it's going to be like a goofy, he has that goofy little voice and it is a goofy little voice, but for some reason he's so sincere about it and so passionate about the project that it just, it's beautiful to listen to. It really makes your heart, you know, sing. Yes, yeah, so run, don't walk, and stream and listen and buy Leslie Jordan. Company's coming. 
Companies coming, best title of ever. And then if you guys talk about this, I'm sorry, but I can't get enough of this. This is an earworm. And it's Michelle Visage, who's no stranger to music and to hit music. She had, you know, I'm talking careers, baby. It's not about one year. It's about 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. In 1992, Michelle Visage had a number two hit in America called with the group Seduction. It takes two to make a thing go right. She, with um, Soul System, had a uh, cut uh, where she rapped, because Michelle Visage is every woman, on the Bodyguard uh, soundtrack, with the biggest selling track of time. And now, just this past couple of weeks, with Steps, which is a huge group in Europe, a huge group in the UK, they're ABBA-esque, just because of time, I'm not going to go into deeper. And Michelle had, like, texted them or tagged them in a text, like, several years ago and said, I want to be in your group or something along those lines. And it, and it came to be. Talk about, you know, manifesting and they have a song called Heartbreak in the City. There's a video out. And I would recommend um, Graham Norton, who, of course, has the biggest talk show in Europe and over here, and is Michelle's co-judge uh, co on Drag Race UK. She appears on the show, and she with the steps. And the steps are known for doing really cheesy but hypnotic uh, sort of standing uh, uh, choreography where it's like, you know, I hear you, you know, it's like everything's very like that. And Randy Barbado, who I know has been stepping in, said he called it geriatric choreography. He was making fun of her. But it's very precise, it's very beautiful, and it is a song, it's 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 a dreamy song. It's like it's from the late 70s, early 80s. It's you know, everything Kylie's doing. I love that. You know, didn't we have a long discussion last week, James, about steps being like Buck's Fizz? And we were like trying to like align what the steps were like, a little bit like Macarena or, you know, like, oh, Barbie Girl, um, um yeah, Venga, Aqua, Venga, yes. Venga uh, Boys. And, um, but it's a yeah. really beautiful song. And I, I, the more you listen to it, the more it's in your head. So I suggest, and I'm sorry if you guys already talked about that, but I'm just, I can't let go. No, 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 no. It's fine. No, it's gorgeous. And she's fabulous in it. And that's the song itself is just like you said, I've had it on repeat for the last week. It's really beautiful. And last but not least, and I'm sorry because this, this is we're preparing for uh, the grand finale of RuPaul's Drag Race season 13. And there's going to be a performance, spoiler alert, of RuPaul introducing a song that he just released called Old Friend Silver, New Friends Gold. It's an EP. It's available now. It is, you know, it's 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 old friend silver, new friends gold. It's this beautiful mid-tempo song, just about friendship and everything. It's really kind of inspired everything that we're planning to do for the finale. Because I don't know about you guys, we haven't been. It just feels I feel more tender now than I have uh, the whole year. You know, I just just appreciative that we've gotten through what we've gotten through, and and grateful that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and. And realizing what got us through was like faith and hope and 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 friends, you know, from afar. I don't, I, I don't know. I'm ready to go and be a bitch. I'm ready just to go and be a I brittle, mean, nasty you have to do bitch. I have been kind and good, and I'm ready to break out the cigarette. And then start. we're back to normal, and I feel very <laughs> safe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Listen, um, uh, you can get all these fabulous songs, tracks on iTunes. And I will also just mention, you can also get the cover of... Uh, UK Han with the Frog Destroyers featuring the winner of season two Drag Race Lawrence Jane on uh, also is just out just came ding, out ding, with the Ding Dang Dong a cover a cover of our own music it's meta on meta it's, it's a wig on a wig or a beanie on a beanie 
And James, do you do you envy my beanie that I'm now fashioning for those? I tried to steal one the other day and I couldn't. I um, was trying to lean break in, in, in the the a little bit. Fenton, lean in. We can see. We can oh see. right. Mm-hmm. I can't get any closer because the okay filter will look. My face look awful. Hang on, where did I do this? I could do this. Woo! Oh, there you go. Bing bang dong, and I think yeah. there's a bing bang bong. Yes, I was trying to break into the Wow Wow store, and I couldn't. I uh, it's all boarded up. Oh, well, we are not right All right, is stealing from the company again. It's great. <laughs> I know, James. What have you got at number nine? Number nine. Number nine. I watched Ammonite over the weekend, and Ammonite is the Kate Winslet, Saoirse Ronan. Um, 1840s lesbian uh, seaside archaeology movie. And if you only watch one 1840s seaside archaeology movie this year, it is Ammonite. And um, it was, it's, it's very grim, okay? Uh, Kate, Saoirse is suffering, suffering from melancholia, and her husband leaves her in the care of Kate Winslet, who was once a famous archaeologist who discovered this famous fish fossil. But then the men took uh, took credit for it. And so she, now she's very bitter and she's curt and she's cold. And she spends her days walking up and down the seaside in the cold rain. And she's <laughs> looking for fish fossils and she's scrubbing rocks and things like that. And um, the, the girl, Saoirse comes and, and joins her. And nothing happens for two and a half hours, I swear to God. They sit and they look at rocks and they look at the waves and they they don't say anything to one another that like literally they grunt and they 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 whisper but then all of a sudden out of the blue they have this sex scene that is the nastiest most erotic most shocking sex scene i have ever seen i in the history of film headboard banging she's eating her out and fingering her and just i mean it's just shocking and then Nothing happens for two and a half hours. <laughs> Sounds like my kind of movie. <laughs> well, what is it about the Brits, though? And like archaeology, the dig was a bit like that. Like nothing goes on, and people are sort of wafting around, looking okay, winsome and melancholy, cool. digging up old shit out of the ground. But and you're asking us, what about the Brits? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, but here's the thing about it that's so fascinating. The night before. I'm so psychic. The night before, I was on Etsy, and I was looking for Civil War-era bonnets for someone who makes Civil War-era bonnets. Because (laughs) Civil War bonnets are more conical, and they aren't quite as frilly as, like, the baby bonnets and the bonnets of, like, Little House on the Prairie. They more, like... It's more like um like a cone sort of that comes out and it's they have those lovely straw ones with bits of flowers and, and things and bows. <laughs> anyway, so then so then the next day I turn on this movie and it is nothing but bonnet porn. It is Saoirse Ronan is wearing these bonnets that are the most fabulous thing you've ever seen. You know, I was taking pictures left and right to show the Etsy people what it is that I want because every single bonnet in this movie is absolutely fabulous. And if you watch it for no other reason than the bonnets, the bonnet fashions, yes? Trend alert, bonnets. <laughs> Men what? in bonnets, yes. I don't I don't think he- it's not a handmaidenly type bonnet no. that I'm looking for. No. It's a very specific straw bonnet with bows. What do you want the bonnet for? Suits and, and ties and, you know, caftans and for whatever. For your return to society uh, post-pandemic. 
Yes, yes, it's a new look that I'm cooking up. Men in bonnets. I love Boys it. in bonnets. Boys in bonnets, yes. Boys in boysenberry colored bonnets. <laughs> so Ammonite was not nominated for anything, but it's streaming <laughs> on Hulu, so <laughs> you can go scratch that itch. <laughs> Anytime you like. Um, actually, I'm going to stick with Hulu because uh, number eight this week. Number eight. I watched a documentary, which I haven't completely finished, but I am three quarters of the way through and I can't recommend it enough. It's called WeWork or the making and breaking of a 70, 47 billion unicorn. So I don't know if you know the story of WeWork, but um, you uh, did you, you saw Fire Festival? Did you see the Fire Festival, Doc? You know, where all the people went off to the island in the Caribbean for a festival and it was chaos, led by a very charismatic, shady leader. Or, or did you ever see Enron, The Smartest Guys in the Room, um, which was about a company that was a complete fraud? Basically, take charismatic people, give them the reins of business in an unregulated, uncontrolled way. Wait, is this the Randy and Fenton story? And you get a fabulous documentary about fraud, deception, and people's gullibility, really. So no, James, it's not. (laughs) Not at all, not at all, not at all. WeWork started out as a, um, it was just this idea of like, we'll lease buildings and then subdivide them and lease them out to companies. But along comes this guy, Adam Newman. And yes, he's long-haired and romantic and charismatic. And he sort of talks about turning the me into we and people together. And the whole thing gets completely out of control. Um, they start like making people we EOs. <laughs> a WEO. Come on. And their their valuation just goes up and up and up. And at some point, someone figures out that WeWork is not actually making money, it's just hemorrhaging it hand over fist. And at that critical point, they managed to get $4 billion out of this investment fund that's backed by the Saudis um, called the Vision Fund, which is all about approaching singularity, which is when machines become smarter than humans. How an office-based leasing company manages to get $4 million because it's part of the singularity vision beats <laughs> me, but they did. And... Um, and they, they he he trademarked it. Adam trademarked we. He trademarked we, and charged the company five point nine million dollars. We, we can't say the word we anymore. He oh. trademarked it. He trademarked we. So, we, and, so we're getting fined every time we say it. Every time, and he Four charged the company five point nine million dollars. I mean, it's like, what did I miss? Wow, ten million. Come on, give it Why to me now. Why did you not trademark the word? The word wow. Right, but and said, then. And then it gets even more crazy because then they started an idea called We Live. So instead of We Work, where you go, you now move in and live in these places. I mean, you know, come on. It's just a cult, basically. It's just a business. Yeah. A friend of mine's building in West Hollywood, he's being evacuated because they're turning it into, I don't know if it's a We Live, but they're turning it into more of like a dormitory. That's supposed to be the like a kitchen a couple bathrooms and bedrooms. I've seen a couple of those downtown. Yes. Anyway. Yes. And uh, Blake. Yes. Well, yeah, I actually know a little thing or two about this because my roommate, before he started working from home, his offices, like instead of having an actual office, they, because everyone spread out all over, all around the world, they had a deal with WeWork to where they could go in and work from the WeWork offices. So I'm wondering like, 
do you think this is, I mean, maybe that was all culty and fraudish, but do you think that with the pandemic coming back and more people forced to be work from home because there aren't offices to go to, that this may be a better idea now? No, I don't think it's a better idea now because it's basically just cramming people in and that's the last thing people want. And and they also, they decided to do We Grow, which was a school, and then they were going to do We Grown Ups. But the interesting thing about him is, Adam is, they would have baristas, they'd have We Baristas at every location. And when he was there, whenever he would ask for a latte, they would give him a cappuccino because he thought a cappuccino was a latte. And so rather than tell him, no, you got it wrong, they actually changed the definition. So there's this great interview of this guy who says, well, I met with him and I asked for a latte and they gave me a cappuccino. And I said, this is not what I asked for. And, and Adam was like, yes, it is. You got a cappuccino when, in fact, you got a latte. Are you following well, me? It, it is that sort of Trump th- or the um, Orwellian uh, yes. change. The emperor has no clothes and he wants a cappuccino. Now explain to me, I don't know what a unicorn is. I keep seeing this word everywhere on the, on, on the Twitter. A billion dollar startup. Okay. okay. And it's called a magical, it's called a unicorn because it's a mythical thing. Basically, these things don't basically exist, but we work became this $47 billion startup. And apparently by the time SoftBank, who the vision fund investors begged him to leave and they had to pay him something like 1.7 billion dollars to go i just i've made all the wrong decisions in life i where why did i never come up with any scam like this you have so many bad ideas you should be a billionaire (laughs) i know and maybe instead of hoarding like designer bonnets you could be putting this into like something the bonnet thing is it take the bonnet thing and go all the the way thing and run and make my billion day bonnets we live in bonnets you know, <laughs> and have bonnet, a bonnet, bonnet, bonnet grows. Yes, I'm feeling the bonnet. Yes, yeah, that's good. I just want to say one little t- t- caveat. The last place I remember seeing a WeWork, and they were everywhere, right? Was in the same building as Quibi. Quibi. Uh, Quibi WeWork. Mm-hmm. That <laughs> landlord's pissed. So you're saying Quibi, Quibi and WeWork? <laughs> Were <laughs> they in the same space when we went there to meet? Do you remember? Yes, I think yes. It, and it had that look. All the WeWork spaces had that sort of look of of just sort of IKEA type utilitarian minimal design plus baristas and candy jars filled with you, candy everywhere. You guys went and pitched at WeWork? Well, we pitched at Quibi, but Quibi shared offices oh, with okay. WeWork. So, so the idea was to bring in community. You know, it's like one of those things where you're just like, I just want to get to work and go home. You know, like I don't have time to reinvent the work. I think the idea comes out of that, um, those Google and Apple campuses where it's like everything's laid on for you. You know, you have ping pong and games. I think probably that's, I'm thinking maybe that's where he sort of got the idea of like, we'll just turn work into a 24-7 living experience. It's also not a bad idea. It's just not a multi-billion dollar idea. You know what I'm right. saying? It's like it got way out of control. So that's WeWork. Okay. Uh, premieres for RuPaul's Drag Race Down Under has just been announced. May the 1st on Wow Presents Plus in the US and select territories. TVNZ in New Zealand. Stan in Australia. Pretty good. Uh, Blake, you have a question for us? I do. I do. So this is a birthday question. This actress, who was one of the leads on a hit drama that's about to get a reboot. 
was born in jail on this day 34 years ago. Who is born she? in jail? Yes. You're listening to the Wow Report on Radio Andy. We'll have the answer right after the break. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. And welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with Tom Campbell, returned from overseas. Welcome back, Tom. Thank you. James St. James and Blake. We're counting down the top 10 things that make us go wow. But before the break, Blake, you had a question. I did. It's about, okay, so this actress who was one of the leads on a hit teen drama. Teen drama. That's about to get a reboot. Was born in jail. On this day, 34 years ago. Well, I mean, it can only be... um, uh, 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 (laughs) (laughs) She's married to Ryan Reynolds, and we're talking uh, the Gossip Girl. What's her name? Blake Blake Lively. Lively. It's Blake Lively, who was born in jail to a hooker mother, I believe. Any other guesses? I want to say, but she's too old, but she's still young and lovely, would be Sarah... uh, Michelle Geller. Michelle Geller. Fenton? I have no idea. Well, James, you were super close. It was uh, Leighton Meester. Leighton Meester, of course. I was going to say her. I was that close. What was, what was her mother in jail for? I think she was serving time for like a drug charge, which was probably like marijuana. God bless her. Back in the 80s. That would terrible. I mean, to be born in jail must be pretty... I mean, to be a mom in jail must be really difficult yeah they don't let you stay with the baby right i think some i mean depending if what it was i think i have seen some prisons where you move into a suite with the baby at least for a little while god this is all very triggering to me because i've told you that when i was growing up my sister used to tell me because i was adopted and she said your real mother was a whore and she had you in prison and then she would tell me, that, no, she was the fat woman in the in the circus. And when the circus left town, she left you behind. So this is all very upsetting to me. Next week, we're gonna we're gonna introduce James to his real mother here. <laughs> the fat well, woman who was in prison. At number seven. <laughs> number seven. A beloved television star of our youth, Mallory from Family Ties, sister of. You know, Ozark's Jason Bateman, who's just a wonderful actor and we've known our whole lives. Justine just came out with a book. Justine's 55, so she's in our neighborhood. And she has a new book called Face Face, One Square Foot of Skin. And she is is so opposed, and she's speaking to women, but let's us join that group, with anyone getting anything done to their face. She thinks it's bizarre. There was an article and she, she said, why is the idea that women's faces are undesirable? What is the root of all that? We can answer that. And how do we get to here? And more importantly, and the things that really bothers me is how do we get to this point in our current society or cutting up your face or injecting it or inserting plastic or whatever is spoken about is so everything's is so matter of fact. Um, as I was spending a lot of time on the road with Michelle Visage. We were contemplating getting um, a, a, a group on neck lift. So I, I, you know, I always swing back and forth from being out of laziness, like I don't want plastic surgery or it's a bad thing to like do everything. Where do you guys well, fall? That's on the- just it. I understand if 
Justine doesn't want to do it. And if her theory is, is this is my natural face and like it or lump it. And yeah. I don't want to look like, a, you know, I'm full of fillers and things. That's fine. But I don't think that I think that if somebody wants to do it, then go ahead and do it. I don't I don't think that we should be shaming anyone for for getting surgery. James, my be so bold as to ask if you've had anything uh, pushed into your face or taken off. I have had um, some Juvederm about 10 years ago that I loved. I think it's still in there somewhere. If I really play around, I think I can feel a little lumpier there. Um, and I've had Botox once and I loved that too. But um, I remember I was clocked on it uh, pretty regularly by milk. I remember going out to lunch with milk and he said, James, why is your forehead not moving when you talk? And I was like, how dare you? And I've never had it again. And you said, I'm surprised that you said that, but no one knew. <laughs> um, Fenton, you were not afraid of a little, a little procedure. Yeah, I've done, the, I've done the injectables and the Botox. I also did, got my eyes did. Um, which what was, does that mean? It's just the above part. Right. Just I was having slightly hooded eyes. I had a salmon oh rushdie yeah. look happening. And I got the, the, the eyelids um, taken in. Yes, and I remember crying, it was very, very tight. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was very, very tight. I remember for the first six months, it was, it was, uh, but now it looks so, so it nice. looks fantastic. Yes. It and and, so, and I, the net lift, the neck lift. Yes, I am there. Oh my God. I like this looking at the richest, the, most like, cosmetically enhanced people, rich, you know, famous people. Like it doesn't, it feels like the neck may be still Mars. It's hard to land on the neck thing. Right? <laughs> very, it's very painful from what I hear. I mean, any there's a few uh, surgical procedures, and they are all incredibly, incredibly painful to do. Well, I'll just tab it with this because what I, I was just you know out shooting drag races, blah blah blah. And the, my fashion alert, and this is the first time I've seen it, but now everyone has one. Is the big old booby bib with the turtleneck? it's not like something you strap on like a halter top it's like you go you just wear it so maybe i'm just going to do some version of a booby bib maybe big boobs maybe masculine chest (laughs) now but did you finish reading the book or have you read the book or have you just been reading interviews and things and i I, you know she's right i think it's right to bring it up because i do think there's a lot of pressure and people do sometimes do too much again but I, i don't think it's that shocking because people have been vain since the beginning of time, right? And well, I mean, everybody does now look like Amanda Lepore did in 1994. It's very interesting. <laughs> Amanda was 30 years before the, the trend. She yeah. was ahead of it. And now everybody in Beverly Hills looks like Amanda. Um, but- once, the, once the science exists, it's hard to turn back the hands of time. And I do think, you know, there's an, an actress's argument saying that she wants to look like a real person so she can get real people's roles. But real people now look like, you know, jellyfish monsters. So yeah. it's it's very, it's it's a weird sort of conundrum. I just hadn't heard, uh, I hadn't heard anyone come out against it for a long time like that. So I thought it was worth bringing up. And yeah. then, she's very, she has lots of wrinkles, but she's, you know, she's a beautiful woman with incredibly exotic bone structure and face. Well, and exactly. Wrinkles work in some, you know, work more favorably on some people than others, you know. It's true. And I, but I do, to, to wrap it up, I, I do like Justine and I think that she's fantastic and I would read the book definitely. Yep. She's very funny and very smart. Yes. All right. Number seven, Justine Bateman. Over the knife. What is the name of the book? It's called Face of Face. 
a foot worth of skin or something like that. Lovely. Number six, James. Number six. Number six, Lyle and Eric Menendez, colon, TikTok stars. Um, it was an episode of 2020 last week, a special two-hour episode on 2020, which if really they're all two-hour episodes every week. It's just a special two-hour episode of 2020. Um, uh, it's interesting because they talk about um, you know, the, the handsome teen killers, Lyle and Eric teen Menendez, who murdered their wealthy parents in a fit of rage and then went on a big shopping spree with the, with the insurance money. And their defense was that they were sexually abused by their father and possibly by their mother, or maybe their mother was sort of uh, uh, enabled the father or something. And they show during the course of the 2020 thing, the, um, the testimony of the boys talking about the sexual abuse that they endured. And it's, it's really, it's hard to watch. It's very triggering. It's very upsetting. And you, believe them i don't think there's a doubt in my they mind weep, they weep on the stand talking about it and i wept watching it on 2020 and the 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 details that they give are not something that heterosexual boys would make would would make up it's like it's you can feel the 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 reality of what they're saying is as they say it well ridiculed at the time right ridiculed that, during that, the that, trial that, of rich boys but we that, now know so much more about sexual abuse well that's the whole point of the of where the 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 story segues is that in the 1990s people weren't really open about sexual abuse and there really wasn't a national discussion about it and they were ridiculed and mocked and nobody really believed them and they subsequently ended up getting a lifetime in prison and now 2020 and TikTok is the biggest youth craze since MTV. And all the kids on TikTok, these 19 and 20 year old and young people, are revisiting the case and learning about the case for the first time. And in the era of Me Too and in the era of people talking about their sexual abuse and, and being very open about it, they are approaching the story from a very different angle than older people do. And so there's this giant new movement on TikTok to try and get the boys um, out of their life sentence. And there's, you know, it's people talking about their own sexual abuse and how uh, they've become sort of martyrs for this new generation. And I don't think that we ever would have it, it, it was sort of like it, the case was over and done with, and it sort of has a whole new life now. It's very interesting. Did you uh, watch it, Benton? I didn't watch it, but you know, a couple of years ago, we made a film, Menendez Blood Brothers for Lifetime, that very much sort of told this story from the point of view of, from their point of view, I think. Yeah. From, from the point of view that they weren't making it up, because like you, it was just the details of it seemed so bizarre that it's not the kind of level of detail that you would be able to fabricate or make up you know that the fictional version would be so much more smooth and slick and sort of right non-idiosyncratic and, and the the court system flaw or whatever was that they, they did testify on the stand about the sexual abuse of their father and that jury got hung or something like that was a hung mm -hmm. jury and it, it, the case got thrown out so they tried it again and a different judge came in and he said you couldn't talk about the sexual the, the, the jury that convicted them never heard about the sexual abuse and some of those jurors being interviewed you know after and today would say i would never have convicted if i had known so it you know it really did put them in a 
a, a sympathetic light. And I just have to say, and I'm running out of time, is that uh, Theron, who I was traveling with, he would talk about every topic on the earth. And he'd be like, you know, I was reading. I'm like, where from Theron? He'd be like, TikTok. So we call <laughs> everything's like, you know, there's this woman who might be living with her dad, but we think that she might be having an incestuous conversation with her cousin. Where did you hear that? TikTok. <laughs> it's ever I swear to God, TikTok is taking over the world. Right. Everything. Okay, let's My new TikTok on. show starts. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. And, and now it was over. Thank you. That was a great show. I'm <laughs> <laughs> five. Number five. Watch the documentary. It's only 40 minutes long. It's on HBO Max. It's called The Last Cruise. And if that title sounds foreboding, it's because it follows the 40-day quarantine on board the Diamond Princess cruise ship at the outset of the pandemic. So this was, let's see, January 20th, the same day the World Health Organization first reported cases of COVID outside of Wuhan. This ship leaves port and goes on an international, I shouldn't be laughing, goes on an international cruise with an international crew, international passengers, and stops at international ports. But wait, is this the one that, that Trump was using as like a political football? No, it wasn't actually. There were 2,666 guests, 1,045 crew members, and they were, they, they were quarantined outside in, in Japan. For uh, uh, for forty days, trapped on board, and um, they were the largest outbreak of COVID outside of mainland China. They had seven hundred and twelve infections; fourteen people died. And here's the what's amazing about this doc. Well, number one, I'm just not sure if would either of you ever go on a cruise? Not not any time. Not if I can avoid it, and that's pre-COVID. Yeah, but exactly. Looking at this post-COVID, every single shot, you're, you get creepy crawlies. that Because everybody's point. so close to each other. Buffet yes, food. They're at the buffet. Oh. There's a Chinese dragon dancing and people are clapping and singing. Or they're working out in a gym. It's just like, it's like soup. Super spreader soup. The whole oh. and so you're just watching this thinking, oh, I don't want to go on a Oh, Diamond Princess. Oh. I... Yeah, there's no way in in that the idea of just being trapped on board with the same people that you cannot escape no matter what you do is just it makes my skin crawl. I, I could barely make it through this hour with you guys. I can't imagine. <laughs> and it's really scary because of course then they didn't know they didn't really know how it spread or what you know. And yeah. so they, they when they decided to make people stay in their cabins, they said you know it doesn't spread by the air. But then one day, one of the passengers hears them taping, gaffer taping something outside. They open their door and they see the ventilation, the, uh, the ventilation grid in the door has been taped over with plastic. And this is the worst bit is that so all the crew, all the passengers were locked in their rooms. And the crew who share incredibly close quarters, like four in a bunk bed with no windows, no ventilation, ah! they all had to serve, you know, 3,000 meals three times a day to everyone else. So the, so the whole logic of putting everyone in their room was so sort of flawed because the crew was just 
mixing a mink. I mean, it's it's a horror story. It is a horror story. And um, but it's a great documentary. But how does and, it end? And how did they finally get home? Oh, it ends. It's it's almost like a horror film, like Alien. You know, when <laughs> Alien ends and the, you think that they're safe, but the alien is on board, because it ends with the Americans being shipped off in a in a special jet thing, and it <laughs> they're sitting in the military plane. I'm not laughing because it's funny. It's just so. It's and then some of the passengers that. notice there's a there's some sheeting, some plastic sheeting a bit further back, and then they realize as they go to the bathroom that in the middle of the plane, there's a COVID area of COVID passengers on the plane. <laughs> so they were all put on a plane together, COVID and COVID unalike, and sent back to the States. It's yeah. it's a shit show. That's the best. That's the best uh, way. Ship show, I should say. It's a ship show. <laughs> um, so that's the last cruise on HBO Max. Should we take a break? That's, we have to. We do. Blake? Yes. I have a question. So it's another Bartek question about an actress. She was a child actress who grew up to, who grew up to be, among other things, one fourth of an iconic TV quad in the late nineties, early aughts. That will also be getting a reboot soon, although as a trio this time. Who is she? Wow. You're listening to Wow Report on Radio. Andy will have the answer right after the break. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. And welcome back. I'm Fenton here with James St. James and the return of Tom Campbell. Long awaited. And we're back after the break with Blake with the answer to the question. Well, what's the question first? This woman was a child actress who grew up to be, among other things, one fourth of an iconic TV quad in the mid late nineties to early aughts. And a show doing a reboot. And but this time there's only going to be three of them. Big clue. Would, would you like me to answer all these questions in order? Yes. Yeah. Child star was she on the Facts of Life? No. Yeah. Nineties show was it Living Single? No. Oh, I thought it was Kim Fields. No. Mm. Mm. Okay, I'm going to go home now, you guys. So uh, home. Never mind. I got stuck with a quad because I was thinking Charlie's Angels, but that's a trio. Well, quad, <laughs> I was thinking Golden Girls, but then none of them could have been child stars. It's, um, it's Cynthia Nixon. Oh, oh Sex in the City was only three of them. Exactly. Yeah. Cynthia Nixon was a child star? Yeah. She yeah. was in uh, Bad News Bears or, no, yeah. Darling. Uh Little Darlings. Stop it. The Christy yeah. McNichol lesbian movie? Yeah. No, no, wait, no, that's the Christy McNichol and Matt Dillon movie? Yeah, where they're camp counselors or something, I think. Huh. Well, I'll be ding-dong. I had no idea. <laughs> Let's move on to number four. Number four. I'll keep this short, but it's very important. I just have had Georgia on my mind. And I, I, I know, you know, this has been happening over the last couple of weeks, but just major kudos, just, you know, because there's all the backlash, but to the Major League Baseball for pulling out the All-Star game, Coca-Cola for being on the right side of history, Delta Airlines, you know, you know when they're angry at you. No, I'm kidding. J.P. Morgan, Viacom, CBS, Disney has said they're halting all production there. Citigroup, Cisco, UPS, and Merck 
are all, you know, doing, making statements, refusing business, you know, trying to make a difference with dollars and cents out of this crazy, you know, law that restricts voting uh, for people, especially of color in Georgia. But How will it law work? like this get passed? That's what I'm trying to understand. Like, I thought, can you just... No, I, 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 I can't go deep in the politics of it because I haven't been reading it that deeply. It, it, the it Republican governor who is in charge and the Republican um, Congress there, the state Congress, has go, went to the Republican. But is the boycott going to work? Because there's a boycott of the boycott that happens with the Republicans where they're saying they're going to boycott Coke and they're going to boycott Delta. And so then it becomes like who's more powerful, the Republicans cancel culture or the Democrat cancel culture? I want to believe Indiana. Indiana had a similar thing. I mean, I, I'd like to believe that we can win out. It's it's never something that's for sure, but I just want to bring it up and support them. And we should support them and do whatever we can. Anna Navarro, who I love, yeah. wrote, because, you know, the, the, what James is talking about is that the Republicans are all like cancel culture. You know, they always are using cancel culture against liberals and, you know, the right. But and she wrote this great uh, tweet, which was like, first, some, some in GP boycotted NFL because they took a knee. Then they boycotted the NBA because those players took a knee. Next, the GOP boycotted NASCAR because they banned the Confederate flag, and now they're boycotting the the you know the baseball major league baseball because of the change of venue. Because while all the while while they rant and rail against cancel culture, just it's, you know, it doesn't hypocrisy. It's just so silly. Yes. It's just it's it's maddening, and it makes you just want to like bury yourself in the sand and never look. And at the other it. clarifying statement, and I can only speak in memes, I'm afraid, or tweets is. The Georgia law is not in response to voter fraud. It's in response to voter turnout. Remember, you know, like with all the hubbub around things and the way things are reported, you forget the actual like it's because there was incredible voter turnout at both elections and the recount. And so they decided, how can we make it harder for people in poor and black neighborhoods to vote? And that's horrible. And the governor, right? Stacey Abrams run against him, right? In the Uh, previous election. Yes. Yes. Right. And so he is his whole career has been about canceling people's right to vote. Yes. And yeah. somehow he managed to stave off defeat once more, right? He he, he held on to his yes, seat as governor. Yeah, because he was up for election this time. Yeah, no, he hasn't been up for re-election, but he's managed to gerrymander the the, right. the counties and everything to always be for. But you sort of it's it's depressing because Stacey Abrams, who is such a, a an iconic hero for our times. You thought that she that, that she had solved the problem, and then here we are taking ten steps backwards again, and it's just it's frustrating. It's going to continue like that, so buckle in. You know, it's yeah. like it's, it's sad but true. The uh, the the other thing is, just someone else posted again. I'm speaking in memes, but it's like I just want uh, to be the, the right. The, the, I want to make it easier for people to vote than buying a gun, an assault rifle. Which I think also, I know it, it's yin and yang, but it's 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 a crazy world, and we still have to fight, fight, fight. Anyway, not to be strident, but those things are on my mind. Georgia on my mind. Number three, James. Number three. Number three. I've been watching Warn Stories on Netflix. It's a docu series by Genji Cohen who was the woman who behind Orange is the New Black, and she is the producer of this. And it is um, tiny little 30-minute episodes, and it's every episode is uh, people telling the stories of their outfits, of an outfit that they have, of an outfit that they lost, 
an outfit that defines them. Uh, every episode um, has a different theme, uh, like um, uh, growing up or lost and found or uniforms or uh, love people outfits that people fell in love with or got married in. Yeah. She's scripted. Is this a scripted thing or a documentary? No, no, no. It's a docuseries. And it's done with puppets and, and cartoons and people telling like the, the stories of like there is a, a kid who is non-binary and it's their um it's not their bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah because both of those are gendered. It's a uh, a b'nai mitzvah because b'nai is the they of in in Hebrew. Um, and they are looking for the perfect non-binary gender non-conforming b'nai mitzvah outfit. And you follow as they go to the thrift store and and is looking for. It's so cute and so adorable. And there's another. There's a boy or there's a guy and. His um, grandmother worked in a sweatshop all her life, and she would make her grandchildren ties, these lovely little ties. And then the hurricane comes and blows the house away, and all the ties are lost. But someone finds the tie on the beach and gives it to him. And so now he wears the tie, and yeah, are you crying as you listen to that one? But the most interesting one story of all is in the very beginning of this one episode, you see this old grizzled rocker with long scraggly hair, and he's like sort of hunchbacked, and he's like real like wrinkles and like really, really an old man. And he's wearing these tight pink pet jeans and like a little like little tiny muscle t-shirt, and he puts the leather jock strap over his tight pink jeans and he says i'm off to play my gig and he goes and he plays and he starts telling the story of the jock strap that he wears well it turns out that he was tina turner's saxophone player remember in the 1980s i see tom's face right now the big arm the big arms and the long mane of hair and oh, he was yeah. symbol he was in every music video in the 1980s he was in the movie lost boys there's a scene where they go to watch a concert and he's like in his jock strap with his muscle not wearing a shirt and he is this hottest thing in the 80s and then he says that in the 90s nobody used saxophone players and nobody called him for 30 years and he and but now all of a sudden people are like for for tiktok or some something like he's famous again and so he has all these gigs and he puts on the jock strap and he goes and he plays these gigs and he's famous again on the nostalgia tour but he tells this great story about how he and tina turner in the late 70s were walking down the street in paris together and she passed a sex store and in the window was the jock strap and she said that's the person i want you to be that's the man i want you to be and so she went in and bought it for him and so every night since then he puts the jock strap on and he's the man that tina wanted him to be she's his private dancer <laughs> do what you want me to do she's simply the best and but the show is full of chock full of like fun little things and it's it's a nice way to sort of while away the hours remind me the name of it again uh worn stories like war stories but worn what a great idea yeah and she did weeds too, of course. Oh right, yeah, yeah, and and the roller derby thing as well. Yeah, very talented. Uh, number two, number two. I had a whole bunch of different things. Number two, but 
actually something caught my eye on the WOW report, and I need James to tell me all about it. <laughs> Science proves you can cook a chicken by slapping it 135,000 times. Well, I'm glad you asked, <laughs> because it's this adorable kid named Lewis Weiss, I think, and he has a, a YouTube series, and he's this little nerd, and he's always trying to find out like all these weird little things. And he had heard that when you slap something, there's um, an exchange of body heat. Like the, there's like a molecular, something that happens on a molecular level where there's a bit of heat that's exchanged. And or something. Heat. Yes. And he theorized that if you hit something enough times, you're going to generate enough heat to start cooking it. And so he comes up with this robot hand and the problems with it were, how do you, First of all, not pulverize the chicken into mush by with with the hand slapping it thousands and thousands of times. So they have to tap it lightly and it has to be in some sort of heat thermal heat bag because otherwise the whatever heat generates will uh, evaporate into the air automatically. And the other thing was. God, um, how do you get the robot hand there's there, there were just a number of problems over the course of this video but he actually does manage to, to cook the chicken i have to ask the question that's on everybody's mind listening yeah instead of slapping did he ever try just choking the chicken <laughs> well it's what this is what hell of a way to beat your meat i'll tell you that <laughs> well i think the the thing is called the the meat beater 9001 <laughs> right that was his machine and he had some technical problems because, like, bits wore out and, you know, arms and spurs and cogs gave out and he had to replace them. But and yes, I have a story about Tina Turner and I. We were walking in Paris <laughs> recently, and she looked in the mirror and she saw a beat meter 9,000. She said, <laughs> the man I want you to be. <laughs> How did the chicken taste? Well, it, it looks really disgusting. And he, <laughs> he made sort of a, a, ta- a, a face as he did it. But um, it took 135,000 uh, slaps in order for it to, to um, work. And I just, I think everybody needs to go to the Wild Report and watch this. I got it on bo- from Boing Boing. Uh, but it's a story that's sort of out there right now. And like I said, the kid is just adorable and it's fun to watch. You watch the whole thing. Well, I didn't get he he made himself a steak, didn't he? Because he wanted to he was worried about eating a chicken or something. And, and then it was time for me to jump on the wow report. And I realized at that point that anything I had to say about what I was doing at number two was just not was not gonna compare with this. So thank you for filling me in. All right, so we're gonna take a quick break. Uh last season last night, I mean, was the season finale of the T S Madison experience on oh. WeTV. Groundbreaking television. Congratulations to T.S. Madison, who is an amazing talent and a pioneer. Absolutely. And um, if you didn't see it, step your pussy up and watch the entire series out now on the WeTV app. And there, um, were only, there, were, there were only like four episodes or something. I want like a 24. I want a 25 season, episode season. I really I want I would watch her every day of the week. We have six episodes, but from your mouth to we TV. Yes, I'm sorry, but yes, no, I, I really want more, and, and we need to have everybody get a letter writing campaign for yes. more more. Absolutely. All right. This is the Wow Report on Radio Andy. And when we come back, the number one thing that made us go wow this week with a very special guest coming up. A very special guest. Yes. What a tease. Huh. <laughs> You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. 
Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with Tom and James St. James and our very special guest this week, Trey. Trey Spiegel, contributor to the Wow Report. You are charged with revealing this week's number one. Number one. Um, yes, that number one this week is, and I have a correction, it is not the Pyramid Club. <gasps> It is the Pyramid Cocktail Lounge. It was always known as the Pyramid Cocktail Lounge. Susan Martin, who did PR for um, the Pyramid, pointed this out, that people always get it wrong. Even the dumb sign on the now-closed Pyramid said Pyramid Club. Well, then that makes it hard to know that it was called something else. But the headline is that the Pyramid Club, the legendary Pyramid Club, has closed. I didn't know it was still open. Well, after, it really wasn't. For, <laughs> for 41 years, though, it was a landmark in the East Village for, uh, I mean, drag queen culture and, and music and live music and performance art and well, everything. In, in 2015, Howl Happening had a show. Um, and you'll see some things behind me here. I have some Stephen Tastian artwork um, that he did, The Twilight World of the Homosexual. And How Happening did a show called Secrets of the Great Pyramid, the Pyramid Cocktail Lounge as Cultural Laboratory. <laughs> and it really, it really was. I mean, it, it was called the Cocktail Lounge, but it was more of a club than any club that I've ever been to. It's you, you were behind the bar, you were backstage, you were in the dressing room. But you had nights there too. What did you put on at the Pyramid Cocktail Lounge? Oh, well... Yeah, I lived across the park on Avenue B, so I was really, you know, it was really my neighborhood bar. Um, my, uh, actually, you know, Vic, you knew Victor Weaver, right? So our friend Victor Weaver took over this magazine called Straight to Hell that Boyd McDonald started in the 70s, and it was called the Manhattan Review of Unnatural Acts. And it was basically true homosexual stories, like, written down. Um, you know, Nast- it was the joy it was, of nasty yes. stuff. Yes, like it was. It was. Nasty. It was print grinder. I guess yes. it was like. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and so Victor did. Uh, the, Victor was the editor of the magazine, and he actually, I'm on the cover of one of them in a. I remember in a um, in a in a photo. Oh, I think Fenton's gonna go look for it. Yeah, Fenton's. Uh, uh, is that where he's going? Or are you just bored with what I'm saying? Um, no, I got actual. So, I actually still have my copies. Of, oh, there they are. That review of unnatural acts. I'd forgotten I have them. So anyway, so I did this night. Um, here, here's a poster for one of the nights. Um, oh. and I was I'm working at Vanity Fair. I was working at Vanity Fair at the time, and okay, in a two month period, this is who I booked, and this was kind of highbrow, I guess, for the pyramid. Uh, and so when I booked them, they could do whatever they want. Well, I would just introduce them and then whatever happened. So Quentin Crisp, Cookie Mueller, John Waters, Taylor Mead, Jackie Curtis, Kenneth Anger, who wanted to show all of Lucifer Rising with the crowd being quiet for 40 minutes. Which, <laughs> um, Fran Lebowitz, Ethel Eigelberger, John Sex. And, uh, and this was a real, this was, this was, I had a full-time job. I was working at Vanity Fair. And then on Sunday night, I would produce this show. 
And I think oh, we, we need to mention that the stage was probably the size of a bathroom rug, a bathroom oh. mat. And there were probably, oh. you could get like, what, 100 people, 200 people in that little tiny little area right there. So, I mean, it was it not was, a big. It was the definition of a dive bar. I mean, yeah, if I mean, you, it was, if, this was not a prestigious uh, Carnegie Hall for John Sex to be put. You had Frank Leibowitz and. <laughs> no, was literally the size of a bedroom was the stage. Yeah. Now, did the uh, uh, Pop Tarts ever perform there? Well, yes, as a matter of fact, we did. And I will just say that in all these sort of everybody's mourning the passing of the pyramid, and they say, oh, the legendary performers, this, that, the other, James St. James, RuPaul, like not one single mention of the pop tart. Ever <laughs> well, because you're so humble here. Tell us all about it. <laughs> there we go. I we did perform a few times at the at the pyramid. I do remember Brian um, Butterick, who ran, yeah. um, who was one of the runners of it. He just looked at me slack jawed after our show and was like, that was, <laughs> it was the silence that spoke volumes. Oh. There's, there's Brian Butterick and, and myself in drag. Or, Hattie wow. Hathaway. What Hattie was your Hathaway, drag name? Who, yes. Um, who passed away, who actually organized that show at How Happening. Well, um, Brian what Butterick was drag name? Wait, Brian Butter's drag name was Hattie Hathaway, right? That was that was yeah. the great Hattie Hathaway. Okay, I have also some perspective here for you. So if we were having this discussion in 1981 about a club that had happened as long ago as the Pyramid did, we would be talking about World War II. The Hollywood Canteen. The yeah. Stork Club. <laughs> it's that long ago. It would have been like Wizard of Oz would have been two years old. I mean, it's that long ago. Because in the 80s, we thought the 60s were 100 years ago. I mean, exactly. We, 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 yeah. I think what you're missing, Trey, is that we are hundreds of years old. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me again. Well, St. James, did you work at, perform at, kill anybody at the Pyramid Club? I performed at the Pyramid Club. A couple of times, I was in a band called the Fags, and I was the tambourine player. And I would dress up in a little schoolgirl outfit and shake the tambourine. And we had two shows there. What year was this? I would have been like 85, 86, something like that. And then I feel like I did a show with Baby Gregor and Um, Wendy Wilde and Lisa. And we were all on stage. It was some sort of hippie thing. I don't remember. I have a picture of us all there. And it was Baby, Baby. I think, had organized it. I've never heard your band, Fag. But first of all, take that, little Nas X. And second, <laughs> we all know that the tambourine player is the truly talented member of the band. <laughs> there <laughs> you fine. go. Oh, this is my favorite shirt. I love that. It's an iconic, iconic shirt. That I is, is like, because the this ball is looks- Bastion, Taboo, the drag queen Taboo. And you can see on the bar the um, hairy leg drag queen. Um, that, that's something. Let me let, just talking about drag. It, I think it really was kind of revolutionary in terms of drag because it was not about being pretty. It was not about being um, passing. It wasn't even really about performing. It, it was, was monster about- drag, is what it was. It was, and I re- remember it. I've said this before about how there were different kinds of drag queens at that period and pyramid was deconstructing drag yes. in a a theatrical performance art yes. as yes. opposed to like boy bar which was sort of redefining what drag was for the 90s 
Yes. It's like, yeah, it was hag drag. Basically, hag drag is what it was. But whereas, like, Boy Bar was about creating drag queen personas yeah. in the mold of, like, well, Divine. You had Sister Dimension. You had Happy Face, H-A-P-I-P-H-A-C-E. Tanya had- Ransom. Tanya Ransom. Had- Taboo. Taboo. T-A-B-B-O. W-O-O. Stephen Tashton, who is the brilliant illustrator. Yes. Um, as well, Bunny, B- Bunny performed there a lot. When um, Roof first came from Atlanta with Now Explosion and um, Larry T and Lahoma, and um, I, <laughs> I, I never, th- I don't think I ever, s- I saw Rue there, but and we met and talked, but you know, it was all fuzzy memories. It was all you know. Cr- uh, and the Gosnelton was there you know, videotaping everyone and everything in the pyramid. Yes. And a lot of you can see a lot of those evenings on his uh, Fifth Avenue uh, project, right? That's on YouTube videos, so you can see. I have one story I do want to share, which is I just arrived in New York. I just met Randy. Just started at film school, and we would skip editing class and go to the pyramid for happy hour. You know, where a gin and tonic was just a whole glass of gin with a, a tonic. But I remember this really cute guy coming in. He had blonde ringlets and really torn jeans, very sort of like ahead of his time look. And he had this, he was a graphic artist and he designed this record cover. And it was this woman Martin. Sort of in black and white holding her yeah. face like this. And I was like, what is it? He was showing it to everyone. Uh, oh my God. It was Madonna's debut cover. Yeah. Like, Martin Burgoyne. Yeah, beautiful boy. Beautiful. And Madonna had when when Martin was really sick. Madonna had a benefit there uh, for Martin, oh. and they had all. I remember Keith uh, Herring had just come back from Madonna's wedding with Andy, and we were downstairs. This is so name droppy, and we were downstairs in the dressing room, which is where everyone ended up. Um, and he was showing me all these like photographs from. The wedding and and um madonna came that night like she was there sort of in a flash and stuff but i th- i think that was the only time she was ever there I, I people say that she performed there but i don't think she ever performed there she was way big before then um there there was you know there it was i really i said documentary before but i really do you know there was the club 50 shows uh club 57 show at moma but there's so much to unpack about who performed there and the impact that it had um, because everyone passed through there and it was unlike other clubs, you know, dance interior was a big nightclub, you know, it, 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 it had a lot of people coming in and out of it, but it was a business and there were managers and four floors. And I think we need to get you guys on film before. Well, you know, <laughs> I'm older than you, so don't even don't even hate me. I, 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 can you can you possibly be? I mean, <laughs> just barely. So I better sign off from the show before we all pass out and collapse. <laughs> I know, right? We have to. Uh, I, I have to get my um my my walker out. Right. Um, um, Trey, thank you so much for joining us. It's lovely to see you. To see you. Uh, carry I'll on post on the brief. Wow Report a lot of the visuals that I've shown here, and I'll do some recapping too. So today you can see that on the Wow Report. Right. right. So it would be a big tribute to the Pyramid Bar Cocktail and Lounge. Lounge. And James, <laughs> James, lovely to see you as always. Tom, welcome back. Never leave us again. Okay. And uh, same time, same place next week, right? 
Until then, go out and do something that makes the world go wow. wow.